0: Well, again, I'm very blessed to be here. My name is Daniel Stevens. They call me the youth guy because I'm currently working towards becoming certified as a pastor, but I'm not quite yet a pastor, so they call me the youth guy. So I'm over the youth ministries here at Good Hope, and today I get to start up the new series, which is called The Gifts That Keep On Giving. So it's going to be part one of The Gifts That Keep On Giving and Understanding Spiritual Gifts. And today is going to be on the purpose of spiritual gifts. So the two questions I want to ask you guys today, the two questions that we are going to answer is, who are the gifts for, number one, who are the gifts for, and what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? First Corinthians 12. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. So if you had any question on why we're doing this series, here is your answer. I do not want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. This is Paul that's writing this, and we should not be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Verse 2. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. So what this is saying, this is Paul that's speaking... He's saying it just doesn't it doesn't matter where you serve, there's a variety of different roles in the church, a variety of different spiritual gifts, and it doesn't matter where you serve, each person serves the same God. So it doesn't matter what denomination you're in or whatever it is, each of us each serve the same God. And spiritual gifts, it essentially shows your role in the body of Christ. Now we're going to see a list later on, and it's not an exhaustive list. Like these. these next verses we're going to read, it's not just like these are the only spiritual gifts there will ever be. Okay, so the spiritual gifts it could be working in children's ministry it could be your, your spiritual gift or some of these other things that are going to be listed So the spiritual gift it shows your role in the body of christ. Let's read verse 7 This is going to answer one of our questions today Maybe even both of them now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good Now this question of who are the gifts for? It answers it right here. It is for the common good. So it's for the body of believers? It's for it's for us for the people that believe it is for building and edifying the church. So the purpose of spiritual gifts, it's for building and edifying the church. You know, Christmas time is coming up and it's such a wonderful time. And with gifts under the tree, and it's so, it's so cool. And imagine if you just had a gift under the tree, all nice and wrapped, and you got your Christmas tree set up with the lights and whatever, and you just left the gift under there for the rest of your life. That would be kind of a waste, wouldn't it? I mean, it kind of looks nice there, and it's cool to see it under there, but you want to open the gift, right? The gift is there so that you can open it so that you can use it, right? So if we just take our spiritual gifts and just leave them under the Christmas tree, well, that's just a waste, right? But so many times in our Christian life, we have these gifts, we have these talents, we have these abilities that we have, and we just we stagnate and we don't use them just because we, we don't have the sense of urgency in our lives, And so many times if you start coming to church and maybe you come to church once or twice a weekend, or maybe this is your first time, or if you've been coming for years, sometimes it can start to you can kind of stagnate. It can kind of be like, well, yeah, there's there's heaven and hell, but you know, at least I'm going to heaven. And it's like you kinda lose this sense of urgency over time. You lose a sense of urgency for the loss, you use a sense of urgency for using your spiritual gift. And you know, it's just like if we were, if we were in a military camp and, and you knew how to use a helicopter and there was a bomb that was going to go off in an hour, you would get people on that helicopter and you would get them out of there as fast as you could, right? You wouldn't just sit there and just be like, well, eh, whatever. We can just all die here. That's fine. And you wouldn't just get in your helicopter and just start driving around just all by yourself and be like, well, at least I'm safe. And you also wouldn't just start running on foot either. You would use the helicopter. You would use the gift, right? So it wouldn't be just something where you would just sit around, but you'd be like, guys, a bomb's going to go off in an hour. we got to get out of here. Otherwise, you know, it's going to be too late. we got a limited amount of time. we got to go. And yet somehow we think it's okay, you know, just that we're in this walk of life and that all of a sudden it's okay that just we're going to heaven. And there's other people coming in this life with us and it's all of a sudden fine if, if they go to hell. And we often preach heaven in, in church services and we, you know, like, yes, we're, you know, we're all going to heaven, woo, that's great. But so oftentimes we, we neglect the counterpart and that hell is a very real place and there's people outside of these walls that are going to hell right now. If we decide just to leave our gift under the tree, if we decide to have no sense of urgency, then, then we're affecting people's eternal destinies in the wrong way. And what's even scarier is inside of these walls too, there's people that are going to hell as well. I think it's awesome that unsaved people are, are in here right now. But There's also people that have been coming to church for a while that think that coming to church is what saves you, and it's not. It's the grace of God. And the Bible, in the New Testament, you'll find it throughout the, uh, the New Testament as Jesus speaks and John the Baptist spoke. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. They didn't just say, you know, pray this little prayer, you know, Jesus, forgive me, good, pray that prayer, but... He didn't just say, pray the prayer for the kingdom of heaven is near. It said, repent. Because repent means to turn, to take your actions and go in the opposite direction. It means that it's not just about saying a prayer and then going back and living your same normal life. It's about repenting and doing what God says. Because Jesus didn't come just to take half-hearted Christians. He came for people that were all in, submitted to his will. People that weren't going to just leave the gift under the tree. People that were going to use their gift. He wants people that are going to actually do what he says. And yet somehow we just think it's okay just to say this little prayer and and move on with our life. There's so much more to the plan of God. And if we really believe this, this fact of heaven and hell, then we're gonna do something about it. How can we let our loved ones, our friends, our coworkers go to hell? How can we do that without saying something? How can we be okay with that? We need to have this sense of urgency. Sometimes you get a sense of urgency and then all of a sudden you go for a week and you burn out. I listen to a lot of podcasts, And John Maxwell is a leadership guy that I listen to quite a bit, and one of the stories he talked about was when he went to a party and he was with this Olympic athlete, and he went up to this Olympic athlete and said, I think I can beat you in a 100-meter dash. And the Olympic athlete says, yeah, I don't think you can. You want to race right now? And he said, well, I think I can beat you if I had a 70 or 80-meter head start, which is kind of a dumb thing to say, right? Right. But the fact is that if you just get started, if you just start your race sooner, you're going to get a whole lot more done. It doesn't matter that you run a 10 second, 100 meter dash. It just matters that if you started 20 seconds before the person that runs the 10 second meter dash, you're going to beat them. So you just got to get going. You just got to start moving because a lot of people, they just go really hard for a month and then all of a sudden they burn out. You know, they, they go to church every day around Easter time and then all of a sudden they can't go to church till Christmas Eve. It's about running the race. It's not about just sprinting the whole thing, but we gotta be effective over a period of time. And you know, the church, the body of Christ, it's not just a weekend service. It's not just these services, what we're doing right now. This is a part of it, but it's so much more than just a sign-up sheet. The church should be, when somebody's hurting you, give them a call, you go meet with them, you go encourage them. It's so much more than just these weekend services. God, has so much more in store for you than just to sit in these seats and listen to a 19-year-old. I mean, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? (laughs) That that's all the body of Christ should do is listen to a 19-year-old talk because there's something so much more important than just how funny the offering video was, who led worship, or how good the drums sound. God is at work here. And I pray that after this service, what you're thinking about is not me or any of these things or how cool this stage is or the flowers we set up or the decorations out there, but you're thinking about God. You're thinking about how you can give your life to God. Verse 8. So this is going to be the list of the gifts of the Spirit. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. There was a bunch of things listed there, but it's not like these are the only things you can ever do, okay? Like children's ministry or youth ministry, whatever. These things aren't listed on there, but these roles in the church, there's different things besides the things that were just listed right there. So let's go to verse 12. The body is a unit. So this is gonna be his illustration for the body of Christ being built up in different roles in different places, but it's still all serving the same God. This is his illustration. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Now, if you think, man, I don't know what I can do for God. I don't, I don't know that I really belong, you know. Even if you think you don't belong, you do belong. And you know what else? Even if you think they don't belong, they do belong as well. And sometimes people can ask, you know, like, what can I do for God? You know, I don't have much talents, or maybe I'm really young, or... Whatever it is, you know, it just feels like, man, what, what can I even do? When Jesus in the New Testament was calling disciples to follow him, he called fishermen. He didn't call the fancy teachers of the Bible at that time. He called fishermen. He called tax collectors. Tax collectors were thought of really low at this time because they would take money from people. They would steal from people. And part of the 12 disciples were tax collectors and fishermen. And some, sometimes people wonder, like, what can I do for God? And the people in the Bible weren't just these exalted people we could never be like. The people in the Bible are people just like you and me. They're average people. And sometimes it can seem like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I can do that, or that seems unattainable. But it's very attainable. Jesus said we would do even greater things than he did. So let's believe it. If Jesus said it, we better believe it, right? There was another guy in the Bible named Gideon. He was the lowest in his tribe, lowest in his family. When he was approached by God, he said, what can I do? He ended up setting the kingdom of Israel free. He was the lowest in his family, lowest in his tribe. He used the least person to be used by the kingdom of God. Jesus was born in a manger. Look what he did. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now, if everybody was just serving in youth ministry, it would kind of whittle out our group, right? So once somebody turns 18, all of a sudden they're gone, right? So if we all were just serving in youth ministry and there was nothing for adults, if there was nothing for kids, boy, the body of Christ wouldn't be working very well, would it? Almost like it would be limping along, like you're missing a foot or a leg or an arm. So all these things are super, super important. If we can just come together and use our gifts, if we can have the sense of urgency, if we can understand our purpose, it's for building and edifying the church. These gifts aren't just for leaving under the tree, it's for the common good. If we can do that, we can do an amazing work. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now, if I said to Vicky, our children's pastor, hey, I don't need you, would that be a good thing to do? I mean, obviously not, right? Because the kids that grow up in children's ministry eventually grow up to be then in the youth group, right? And then grow up to be a young adult and then an adult, right? So this thing, it, it all works together. And then as they grow up and become in the youth ministry, then they go back and help in children's ministry. And it's this thing where it builds each other up. It's so important. And I can't just say, I don't need you. If I told Carol, uh, someone who cleans the church, hey, I don't need you, nothing in the church would be clean. And I tell you what, youth are messy. And if we didn't have somebody who was willing to clean the church, I mean, boy, that would be terrible. If I said, hey, Mike Jurek, I don't need you, everything would be broken. Man and youth break stuff all the time those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You see me up here, you see the worship team up here, and there's so much stuff happening behind the scenes with Celia, who helps me organize the youth group, that everything would just blow up if she wasn't there. It would just be terrible. And my mom is the church administrator, and if she wasn't doing the financial reports and all that stuff, it would just, man, everything would just fall apart. And all this background stuff, these things that that seem to be weaker, are just they're indispensable. This background stuff that often doesn't get thanked. Man, they're so important. Let's keep reading. Verse 23. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever broken a bone or had a headache or something like that, but if it's a really bad headache, it just really takes all of your focus. And when one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And it's like when one part of the body of Christ is hurting, man, we need to come up alongside them. And encourage them and help them out. So often we use prayer as an excuse to do nothing. I mean, imagine if you were going down the road and you saw somebody having a heart attack on the side of the road. And you slowed down, rolled your window down and say, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. I mean, it'd be good to pray in that situation, right? But I mean, you'd call 911, man, you'd do something about it. And so often we just use prayer as this thing where we just use it as an excuse to, to do nothing. We'll see a missionary up here and they'll, they'll give you the three ways you can help out. You know, you can give your time, your money, or your prayers. And if everybody in this room said, yeah, I'm going to give my prayers, then if they didn't have any money, how many missionaries would we have? Zero. If we didn't have any volunteers in this church, this church wouldn't exist. So, man, prayer is powerful, and and I don't think the church prays enough. But if we use it as an excuse to do nothing, then, man, that's a dangerous thing. That's a really bad thing. Let's go to verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. It said gifts of administration. Whenever I read that, I think, man, who would have thought a spiritual gift would be gifts of administration? And other lists will say encouraging words is a spiritual gift. So many times we just think it's this limited thing, but man, there's so many roles in the church. So many things that are available to do, not just in a sign-up sheet, but just throughout the week. Like imagine if the, if the body of Christ was working together every day of the week, not just Sunday and sometimes Wednesday. Man, so much more would get done, right? So much more would happen. Sometimes I wonder if Paul or one of the apostles was here today and they, they saw the church, what they would think of, of our division, what they would think of our disunity, what would they think of our bitterness and our bickering towards each other. And the however many different denominations there are in the world. I think it's interesting that after Jesus died on the cross and rose again, Jesus appeared to the disciples, and one of the disciples wasn't there. His name was Thomas. They call him Doubting Thomas. I don't know. I think it's a little unfair. But they called him Doubting Thomas because when they said, hey, Jesus rose from the dead, he was like, got to see it to believe it, man. And then later on, they were having church together, and they didn't even agree on the resurrection of the dead. And yet when the, when the carpet's a little weird or the, the stage isn't the color we like or something, we split up. Isn't that just pathetic? Like, what if they were here today? If Jesus was really in this room, how would we act? Would we be bickering towards each other so much? I mean, we would be working together. It'd be like, yeah, you've made mistakes, but so have I. Let's keep going. Man, what if we were a forgiving people? Where every time somebody made a mistake, we didn't stomp them while they were on the ground, but we helped them up. We're going to go to a passage in Isaiah 6. And this doesn't have a a lot to do with spiritual gifts, but it has a lot to do with saying yes to God. And we have a severe lack of people in this world that are willing to say yes to God. We have a lot of Christians that will say, yep, I'm a Christian, but they give nothing of their life to God. And in order to use our spiritual gifts first, we have to say yes. So we're going to read just a couple passages in Isaiah 6. Verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. So now Isaiah is in this vision or, or he's, he's actually in heaven. I'm not sure which one. But he saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. When I read this verse, I thought, man, what does that mean? The train of his robe filled the temple. I mean, you know, I think of a bathrobe and that just doesn't really make sense. You know, you're sitting on a temple with a bathrobe. So I looked it up because I was really confused. And back in this day, so they had you know, the scepters and the crowns and, and the robes they would wear as kings and as kings would go into battle and as they would gain victories, they would take the king, the defeated king, and they would cut off the back of his robe and then they would sew it onto the back of the hem of their robe. So as they defeated more kings and more kings and more kings, they would continuously cut off these pieces so the longer and longer and longer that you robe God, it would show more of your authority, show more of your power, show more of your victory. So when it says that the train of God's robe filled the temple, man, that temple is not going to be a small temple. And when his robe fills the temple, it shows God's authority. It shows his victory. It shows that even in our darkest times, when we feel like we can't win, it shows that God has already won the victory for us because the train of his robe fills the temple. He doesn't just have a couple victories. Man, he wins all the time. God is strong. God is mighty. And this is what Isaiah is seeing in verse 2. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces, and two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, in Revelation, it talks about 10,000 times 10,000 angels encircling the throne of God. That would be 100 million angels. And I can't even imagine what 100 million of anything really would be like. But imagine a 100 million angels saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. That would be something to witness. And if you're saved, if you believe in God, this is something you'll witness one day. Let's read verse four, what happens. At the sound of their voices, the door posts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Now imagine just being Isaiah sitting in the very throne room of God, looking upon God. And it says in Exodus that, that people who looked upon God were supposed to die. So I can't even imagine just looking upon God and thinking, man, I shouldn't even be alive right now. And you see just a train of his robe filling the temple and you see the hundred million angels encircling the throne and singing holy and, and the door Posts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke man what your response would be to just this majesty of god you know we are friends with god but sometimes we make Him just to be just some average guy that walks the earth god is so much bigger than that and so many times we lose our awe for god but man when you look at this passage just imagine I can't imagine what our worship times would be like, what our prayer times would be like if we thought about just the majesty of God, the awe of God before we pray. If you just took a couple seconds and just thought, man, imagine being in the throne room of God with his robe filling the temple and the hundred million angels and everything shaking, the smoke filling up the temple. Man, that would change how you prayed. You wouldn't just start, hey God. Man, you would start it just like, man, I'm so unworthy to be here. You're so mighty, God. It would change the way we prayed. Let's read verse five at Isaiah's response. He says, "Woe to me," I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now when we encounter the holiness of God, when we encounter the perfection of God, it shows just how unholy we are without Him. Just how imperfect we are without him when we encounter the holiness of God. When you walk into the presence of God, when you walk into a worship time in the presence of God and your heart is open, man, he's going to convict you of your sin. You could be like, whoa, is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. We can't even imagine the holiness of God, the majesty of God, his infinite power. Let's read verse six. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. Whether he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You see, Isaiah didn't just stay there and, and say, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And God just left him there sitting in his sin. God doesn't just leave you there sitting in your sin. But God, when you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin. Every time. God doesn't just leave you there to walk this life alone. He helps you. He comes beside you. He picks you up. And we need to act like that in in forgiveness to people because how much we've been forgiven when we realize just how much sin we've been forgiven of, how unholy we are, how we can never match God and how much forgiveness that takes to forgive us, man, why can't we just forgive other people then? It should be so much easier when when we realize just how much we've been forgiven for. Let's read verse eight. This will be the final verse. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? God is still asking this question. Sometimes I wonder how many answers there are. Isaiah said, and I said, here am I, send me. I fear we've lost a generation because they just don't want to do anything. We need to say, here am I, send me. Man, if you really believe this, this thing of heaven and hell, man, you're gonna do something about it. You can't just sit around when God's saying, whom shall I send? The, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You're not gonna just sit around hearing these things with your, with your loved ones on the, on the lost path and just think this is fine. You gotta say, here am I, send me. We need more people that are willing to say that more people that are willing to go. And it doesn't mean that for everybody you're going to sell everything and go move to Africa. A lot of times it means that you're going to keep your same job. A lot of those things are going to stay the same. Not everybody has to go to India and and be a missionary. But everybody has to submit their life to Christ. Everybody can say, Lord, here am I, send me. You know what? These finances, this money, this isn't mine, it's yours. Whatever you want to do with it, it's yours, God. You know what? This time, this job, whatever you want to do, it's yours. We need to be, be people to say, you know what? However you want me to serve, this is your life, God. Take it and use it. Here am I, send me. We need more people that are willing to do that. Because this is not our life, it's His. And man, when we give him our life, he gives it back to us so much greater, so much better. And sometimes you can believe the lie that God just wants you to suffer your whole life. And man, that's not true because a life of God is just full of purpose. It's full of meaning. A life with God is never meaningless. And I can tell you from personal experience, life without God and life with God, life with God is so much better, so much more fulfilling. But it's when you actually submit your whole life to God, when you decide, you know what, God, no matter what you say, no matter if you want me to forgive this person, no matter if you want me to get rid of my bitterness, no matter if you want me to serve here or obey here, God, I'm going to do it. So here am I. Send me. So the purpose of spiritual gifts—it's for the common good. We can't just leave these gifts under the Christmas tree, but we got to use them. So the purpose of these spiritual gifts is—is is to be used to be used for the common good, so that people can be saved for the building and edifying of the church. So let me ask you: These are the purpose of the spiritual gifts. What's your purpose? I like to watch a lot of debates, debates between atheism and Christianity. I don't know why I enjoy it so much, but I do, and I just listen. And, and one thing that an atheist can never answer, the question of why. They can't answer it because in their worldview it is an irrelevant question. The question of why does the world exist, why does this universe exist, why do you exist, it just happened. So the question of why do you exist, there is no meaning, there is no why, there is no purpose Because in their world, this universe is going to go dark and cold. And ultimately, whether you had compassion your whole life and, and gave your life serving people or whether you killed 20 million people, it all turns out the same. A dark, cold universe. So when you ask, why does the universe exist? There can't be an answer from the atheist. Inadvertently, this has caused severe depression in many people because their life is just an accidental flash in time. No matter what they do, they will never matter. But I'm here to tell you today that a life with God is never meaningless. And it doesn't matter if you walked into this room full of depression. It doesn't matter if you walked into this room full of anxiety. It doesn't matter if you walked into this room unsaved, unbelieving in Christ. It doesn't matter if you walked into this room addicted to pornography. It doesn't matter if you walked into this room addicted to drugs. It doesn't matter if you walked into this room addicted to alcohol. He is ready to meet you here today if you decide to meet with him. If you say, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. God, I have done wrong. He is ready to meet with you. If only you want to meet with him. Ask and the door will be open to you. The same God that spoke the universe into being, the same God that loves you and me, the same God that came 2,000 years ago came not for fame, came not for money. He came to be beaten, to be spit on, to be struck over and over again on the head. He came to be nailed to a cross. A crown of thorns put on his head to be mocked. The God of the universe did this for you and for me. Not so that we could leave our gift under the tree. Not so that we could live a life that's meaningless. But so that he could take our punishment. So that God could look on us. And look on us with gladness and see the robes of Christ put on us. Because of what he's done for us. And Christ didn't come to die so that we could sit around while our loved ones died. Not knowing Christ and we don't say a word. When was the last time you got on your knees before God and said, Lord, here am I. Whatever you want me to do. You want me to talk to this person, I'll do it. You want me to serve in this way, I'll do it. When was the last time we said, God, whatever you want. We have been called to reach onto the path of hell and pull people out of it. There's no greater purpose in life than to give your life to God because the actions that you take now have an eternal impact. About a month ago, I was preparing for a youth group sermon and I thought, what's my purpose? Why am I up here speaking? What, what do I do this for? First thing I thought of was this, this key. Little over a year ago, I was at my grandparents' house and we did this little gift exchange. This key opens nothing, it's totally useless. But I put it on my keychain because it reminded me of them. And every time I looked at my keys, I would think of them just looking at this. Even how just useless this thing is, it just reminds me of them. So I wanted to remember that every time I looked down you may see me look down many times in a sermon. And every time I look down, I want to see that key and think, the reason I'm up here is to save them. And so that other people who have loved ones that are lost, they can know that it's not too late. Still pray for them. Still have difficult conversations. The second thing I keep up here is a note written to me maybe a year and a half ago. It was a note written to me at the worst time of my life. And I wanted to keep this up here because I wanted to Just as this was an encouraging word to me, I want to be an encouraging word for somebody too. And there may be people in here that are unsaved or maybe people that are at the worst moment in their life, they don't know what to do. But God is ready to meet with you. If only you'll just kneel before God and say, here am I, send me. God, I just thank you for every person in this room. I thank you that your spirit is moving. I just pray that the people that are here, God, or the people that are listening, we just pray that as they leave this building, God, it wouldn't be something where they just flip the, the God switch on when they walk in here and flip it off when they walk out, but they would always pursue you, God. There would be a 24 7 thing of submitting their lives to Christ, God, that it wouldn't just be you hear this sermon and, and you leave and forget about it, but God, that we would always have this sense of urgency, God, that we would always be saying, Here am I, send me every day, that we would say, God, use me. So I just pray that this group of people right here would just turn into your plan for the church. God, that forgiveness would just flow easy in this place. God, that healing would flow. I just pray that your spirit would be upon them moving in a mighty way, God, and that for the unsaved in this room, God, we just pray that you would stir in their hearts right now to say, God, I surrender. My life is yours. We thank you for what you did on the cross, God, to take our punishment. In Jesus' name, amen.